Dolomites, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. The Claire Trevor School of the Arts has many dance, drama, music, and studio arts performances throughout the school year on the campus of UC Irvine. Events range from student ensembles to master classes given by professionals throughout the year that are open to the public. For more information on events and ticket prices, visit www.arts.uci.edu. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, hello and welcome to our show. I am excited to be here today. It is buzzing in the studio because we are in the middle of our fun drive here at KUCI. And I'm excited every time we do that because it's a wonderful time for you all to give us your thanks for all the wonderful programming that KUCI is bringing to you. And so I am, I feel really blessed to be here on a weekly basis with you. This show, Real People OC, highlights individuals in our community that are making a meaningful contribution. And I, I get out of the house once a week. Hey, how bad can that be? But in regards to, um, in regards to our fun drive, it's amazing the amount of effort that goes along here at KUCI. We are a hundred percent volunteer organization. Uh, well, we have probably one one guy there that actually gets a paycheck, lucky guy. But um, he is our station manager, and there's. Every amount of effort here that goes into it is volunteers. So students, community members, some faculty. We have a great, a great following of people that love KUCI. And so I just encourage you to pick up that phone if you haven't done so already and consider donating to us. This is we only ask twice a year. And so I mean it's a worthy cause. So I pick up the phone. We are at 949. 824-5824. We have people out there ready to offer you premiums, and I just grabbed a few more today. I know that we had a lot of wonderful help from our restaurants across the way that really uh, dug deep and donated restaurant gift certificates. Um, love the um, the kebab grill over there. They're wonderful. They donated. The dance store donated. Um, if you need to get some dance gear, they're fabulous. Uh, if you need to go over and have a nice lunch, Alakazam, the game store, they donated. Trader Joe's has always been a faithful supporter. The uh, folks at Edwards Cinemas, they donated movie passes. And the Chakra Indian Restaurant, if you want a really lovely Indian food experience, that's a great place to go. I try to get there once or twice a month if I can just to have my dose of healthy uh, masala tea and all that goes along with uh, with the Indian culture. So I'm trying to think if I've left anybody out. <clears throat> hmm, who else donated? Uh, oh, the yogurt shop donated. So anyway, call in and make a pledge to keep KUCI on the air. We have wonderful support from the university, but like anything, it doesn't last um, or carry us as far as we'd like it to. So it's something to consider, and uh, we'd really appreciate it if you would make that call. 949-824-5824.
But at any rate, let's get on with today's guest. It's five minutes after the hour, and um, we have... A, actually, I'm really excited to today because I've... You know, if you're ever out there lost in the world and you just want to figure out, is there a way, if somebody would just point you in the right direction and tell you what you need to do to be successful. You're a young startup and you are your own enterprise and you need to figure out... Um, how, what's the formula, folks? Just tell me how to do it. I've got all the energy and desire to get out there and become something and to make a contribution to my community and to my life and to my future. And I just want to know how. And I have brought in today an expert just on that topic. We have in the studio today, David Rolander, and I want to introduce David properly, but I'm going to introduce and say hello to him first. So David, hello. Thank you for coming. Thank you. It's glad to be here. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. So, okay, David Rolander is the author of The CEO Code. And now many of you might be thinking, well, I'm not a CEO yet. How is anything he's going to tell me help me? But we're going to we're going to talk about The CEO Code. And really, the title came from figuring out that way to crack that code, that code to success, right? Yeah. And that's, that's something that you feel is achievable by anybody who chooses to be a part of that success strategy. And so we're going to share that with you today. And hopefully we're going to tailor that conversation a little bit to student level. Uh, maybe if you're a faculty listening in or a local business person that wants to break out of your own shell, this doesn't have to just apply to CEOs. So um, give me a little bit of background about you because you have a really rich history and I want you to share a little bit about that. Obviously, you came to your knowledge through the School of Hard Knocks. So let's talk a little bit about that. Hard knocks. I come from New Jersey. Oh, That's yeah. a hard knock That's right there. Yeah, there you go. The, one of the first things I had to learn when I was about 19 years old, 18 years old, was how to speak like Californians because I came from New Jersey. And back there, they talked different. You know, we toity toy street over by Hoboken. We go to the shore, not go to the beach, but you go to the shore. And hey, girl, you want to go have a soda? And I used to talk that way. So you changed your accent? I did. I did. And it was... Uh, it was difficult because the way I came about changing it was not because I, quote, wanted to, but I was a singer. And I received a scholarship to sing uh, in a college quartet up in Santa Barbara at a place called Westmont College. And in order to do that, I was the baritone. You had a first tenor, second tenor, and were. a bass. <laughs> and so what happened was we would sing a word I was singing one word, and the other three guys were singing a different word. And the coach went bananas. And I was the victim of his wrath, as well as the ridicule of the other guys, because I was talking so weird. Okay, so I have this debate with anybody from the South or from the Midwest. Do I have the accent, or do they? Yeah. <laughs> what did the coach say? Well, I think everybody has an accent from someplace. It's mm -hmm. just that New Jersey, coming, you know, being, being right next to New York, that whole... East Coast, what is it? It's an accent. It's the way they talk, but it's a lot more than that. It's an attitude as well, and a lot of other things. They're brash. They're, you may have heard of the Blackboard Jungle. It's, it's like being a rat in a maze when you're in New York City or in those areas. There's so many people, and it's so intense. So it affects your not only the way you speak, but the way you add it. And to come to California, where it's, we used to affectionately say the land of the fruits and the nuts. Um, oh, you know. I've heard that before. Yeah. I'm a native, so. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't actually take offense to that, but um, <clears throat> it is really funny. Whenever my husband and I get into a fight, I'm reminded of that. <laughs> well, we had fruit trees in the yard, and we had nuts in the neighborhood. You know, I mean, it was good. It was good. It, it fits. We are the world's largest producer of almonds, so maybe sure. that's, uh, that's oh, where it came San, from. San Joaquin Valley, Imperial Valley are incredible uh, agricultural areas. Amazing, amazing areas. But anyway, it was just that they were different. And what was really amusing to me was that the... Uh, the kids from high school, when they heard I was going to move to California because my dad got a job out here, uh, wanted me to look up all these movie stars. And they were thinking, oh, you're going to run into these movie stars and see these hot, famous people. And that was back in the days of Ricky Nelson, mm-hmm. which most of the people listening to this radio show probably have never heard of. I don't or know. Or don't remember. I bet you they do. Yeah, possibly. Don't sell us all too young. <laughs> Ozzie and Harriet. Ozzie and Harriet and Ricky Nelson. Anyway, it was, um, so that was a big adjustment. It's a big adjustment, and I had to come to California, California, um, to to realize that uh, that 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 was very different. There were a lot of people that were also Americans that were very very different, and for me, it was quite an quite a, a learning experience. I remember I got a part time job on a personal level, if that's okay. Yeah, please. I got a, a job because I came out right in the middle of the semesters. I couldn't get into uh, a, a real school, so I went to a, a small school up in the valley, San Fernando Valley, and and I needed to work. So I went up and down the street, Van Nuys Boulevard, looking for a job and went into a W.T. Grants, which was a department store like a Kmart or something or even a Target, that kind of a store. And I got hired. And I the manager was a man. The sales manager was a German with a thick German accent and a very Germanic attitude toward life. And then there were 45 women. One of the 45 women was married, and all the rest were divorcees. Oh, my. And when I was growing up in New Jersey back then, I I didn't even know a divorced person. Right. And here I am working with 45, 44 divorced ladies. And it was the three of us, the manager and the sales manager, you know, the assistant, and then me. And I was the gopher. I was, did everybody's dirty work. Huh. That, that was pretty sounds interesting. like it actually a really fun mix of, uh, of talent. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was really interesting. Well, I like it that you say on your website um, that you have been there and done that. And let me give a quick spelling of your name. David's last name is Rolander, R-O-H-L-A-N-D-R. D-E-R. D-E-R. Put, need to put those reading glasses yeah, on. Yeah. DavidRolander.com or the CEOcode.com if you're interested in digging a little deeper. Uh, you say, been there and done that. And so you feel like you've seen a lot. I have. Yeah. And so... Something about this project maybe is a culmination for you, the CEO code? Oh, for sure. For sure. In fact, the reason I did it, my, my son um, is married now and has two little kids. And, and when I wrote the book, he only had one. And I was thinking very melancholy thoughts about this little guy. Um, and I hope I live to see him grow up, but you never know. And I didn't want to lose the opportunity to share what I had learned over the years uh, with him. And from an emotional level, mm-hmm. we might get into that a little bit, how people make decisions. I'd like that. And the reality is that emotion is the big driver for making decisions, or as they say in sales, the trigger that people make decisions based on. And I, uh, emotionally, it was because of Sixten, S-I-X-T-E-N, which is Swedish. Rolander is Swedish. Okay. My dad's name was Carl George Sixton Rolander, and his father was Sixton Rolander. 
So he um, passed on the name. My son did. It was a surprise to us when he announced it, but it's really cool. And uh, I wanted to pass it on. So the book is dedicated to Sixton, hoping that he will live a very, very full, exciting, dynamic, wonderful life. I'm sure he will. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's dig into this a little bit. You have a little bit of military background. And I think that's got to add to this. I'm always fascinated by, I just got to attend my very first boot camp graduation down there in San Diego. Really? With all the pomp and circumstance. And I was really impressed. I was very moved by it. Um, Not having had any personal interest in the military, but had a lot of family members in the military. I, um, and also more importantly, to see the transformation that, uh, a few quick eight weeks or nine weeks or however long it was, um, seemed to perform on my nephew who, um, dare I say publicly on the radio, needed a bit of a transformation. Um, straight A student, perfect grades, everything, and he just kind of knew, you know, he needed sure. a quick jump start. Sure. And um, so that military component must be an important part of this equation. Oh, it was. Let's talk a little bit about it that. Be- before we go to that, though, let me just say that what I have found is that m- my life has taken turns up, down, sideways based on emotional events. And I would encourage your listeners to think about their life and realize that when emotional experiences happen to them or are caused by them or whatever, it's a turning point. And you have a choice to make. So when I came out here, um, I had been a singer. I'd been on TV as a kid singing for three years almost. I sang every Saturday on television as a boy's first soprano in a quartet. Wow. And uh, so I had, you know, a little bit of an ego because of all that stuff. And I come out here and I'm this weird guy that talks funny. And I had had one tooth knocked loose, and so I had one black tooth in the front. So I looked kind of weird in that sense, looked like a hillbilly in a sense, because I had this gray, gray-black tooth sure, right in front. Sure, sure, when the roots, yeah. So I was kind of the oddball. You fit right in. <laughs> yeah. No, I was kind of the oddball. And then I, uh, dec- I had started in, at Rutgers University as an engineer, because my dad did that. And I come out here to California, and I decide to go into history. And I graduated from Westmont College with a history literature degree. And about my junior year, I realized that the draft, which is conscription where the the government says, we want you, and they take you. And they were taking guys that were married. Some guy, I knew one fellow that even had a child, and they took him into the military. And quite candidly, I didn't want to crawl around in the mud and be in the Army. So what I did was, since I was in Santa Barbara, is I joined the Navy Reserve as an enlisted guy, primarily because I was afraid of getting drafted into the Army. And I knew odds were very, very good that I was going to have to go, not because I wanted to, but because I would have to. So I tried to make the best of that by going in the service that I thought was maybe more enjoyable. The Navy was my... Interesting. Yeah, it was my uh, youthful concept of what Your take on it. Did it work? No. Oh, no, it didn't. It didn't. In fact, this is in the book a little bit. I tell some of these stories. There are a lot of real life. Every every story and every word in the book, by the way, is written by me and by my fingers on the typewriter, or not the typewriter, but the keyboard. And um, the stories are all true. And so I'm in the Navy, and I'm going into Long Beach to uh, do my two-week active duty service. And there's a commo. I'm down in the bottom of this USS Eversole, a destroyer. 
and I'm down in the bowels of the ship with the what they call the rats of the ship, the boiler tenders, guys that stoke the engines. It's a little bit like prison. And I saw stuff like you hear about in prison. Hmm. And after they got done with this young boy down the hall, not the hall, but down the galley, right? They came toward me. And one of them grabbed at me, and I was a big kid. I'm 6'2", and I used to work out a lot. I'm not you know, not a shrinking violet, and I was able and to... And you're from Jersey. You had that on your side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to um, knock him back, and he hit his head and got a little dizzy, and so I never had a problem with him. But for a 19- or 20-year-old kid, that's what I considered myself to be, uh, I was absolutely, and this is, year-wise, this is 1963. Okay. Quite a while ago. I was totally bamboozled. I had no idea, what in the world? This is the United States Navy. What is going on? What What is this all about? Right. I, I, my, whole, my whole brain was scattered. I couldn't figure out what in the world, what do I do? What What is going on? So I survived it, you know, never had a real problem, but it sure emotionally... Remember, I was talking about emotion earlier. Right. Emotionally, it was very, very upsetting. Can we break out of making decisions from an emotional place, or are we just hardwired to do it that way? Emotion can kind of play a part. It a does emotion, play a part? Or it, it absolutely plays a part, and, and a big part. And what's really amusing, because I've been in business and sales and studied this quite a bit. In fact, I've been to a lot of seminars here at uh, UCI because... Um, they do a lot of research here on the brain and on memory. Interesting. And we I, should talk about some and of I've, that. And I've been to some of the seminars here and have some books by some of your profs. Um, emotion is a big part of it. And, and what's really interesting to me is analytical people or people that have a tendency to look at things very uh, black and white. And if you want to think of career fields, the people that like engineering, accounting, um, the law, Police, different different types of people look at look at things in a black and white way more so than others, and uh, what what you find is that people that are very analytical pride themselves in not making decisions based on emotion because they analyze and they analyze things, but the reality is, having made my living in sales for decades, that they're the easiest people to sell once you understand that it is emotion, but they're going to use their analytical skills to justify their emotion. Oh, that's very interesting. So it's actually <clears throat> it's actually their analytical side that's really paying debt service to their emotional side. Yes, that's right. The and they, they, rationalize, they rationalize that they are doing it strictly based on analytics, and it's not emotion, but it is emotion. Interesting. Yes. So they're just as trapped as the rest of us. We, we, we are all dependent upon emotion. And it can be good or it can be bad. It's a matter of controlling it. Now, you can absolutely control it, but, uh, you know, not 100%, but you can in large measure control it. And that's part of being successful, I think. And then that leads into all kinds of things like emotional intelligence and all that. So when I was 19, 20 years old and this, this thing happened to me, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was very confused and concerned. So then several months later, I'm back at school up in Santa Barbara. And the recruiters come on the base. And I'm stopping to just kind of slow down to look at the pictures. And the Air Force guy says, hey, son, you want to join the Air Force? And I, you know, disguise. No, I, I'm already in the Navy Reserve. I can't. He said, that doesn't matter. Oops. <laughs> exactly. 
There went exactly. that plan. <laughs> I said, what did you say? <laughs> and he said, would you like to transfer? You know, you could transfer. And you, you could you could be in the number one. You know, he gave me all the BS about how fabulous the Air Force Appealed was. Appealed to your emotions, did Yes, he, he did. He did. And he didn't even realize what had, why I was so emotionally uh, interested. And so then he said, if you're really good, you could be a pilot. So he threw in a challenge, right? And I said, why would I want to do that? Smart-ass college student, right? Why would I want to do that? And he started telling me why, about traveling and about all the good things, about flying. And so that's what ultimately happened was I transferred to the Air Force. And did you become a fighter pilot? I did become a fighter pilot. I've got uh, 208 missions that I flew in Vietnam. Wow, wow. Never got hit. That's an entirely different interview, wouldn't it be? Yeah, so there's this kid that was a singer. Then he goes a literature history major, and now he's a fighter pilot. Crazy. It is crazy. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. And then so now you're in this place, you know, it's such a buzzword now, and I kind of want to understand a little bit more about life coaching, uh, mentoring. What does that really mean? Well, I'm not... um, just to, to clarify terminology, I am not a life coach. Okay. I am more of a um, business coach. Okay, so very specific aspect of one person's But uh, the life. reality of it is that life gets in the way. Sure. Or life is a big part of it. But my primary focus, because of my, I've had a pretty extensive business background, so my, my primary uh, focus is business, how to build businesses, how to finance business, you know, all of those, the marketing and, and all that. St- I, I ended up teaching a lot of courses at colleges and universities over the years on various topics like finance, economics, accounting, uh, marketing, um, sales, a bunch of different things. Uh, initially, and this is, again, an emotional kind of a thing, initially I did the teaching because I needed the money. I got out of the service, went back to Cal State, and got an MBA in finance, and then I was going to get a job. My wife was a teacher, um, and we wanted to have a family, so we were going to get have a child. And uh, I was looking for bucks to j- pay the rent and put support food on the table, sure. support the family. So I ended up uh, teaching initially just because I needed a few extra dollars. And then I found that I really enjoyed it. And that all ties into your question about why or how life coaching or business coaching or helping others. I I really got a a heart. I developed a heart for trying to help people when I was doing the teaching, when I was doing the teaching. I think that was the start of it. Okay. All right. So let me just pause for a minute to say that if you're just tuning in, this is Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. And I have in the studio with me today, David Rolander, and that's spelled R-O-H-L-A-N-D-R. And it's, uh, you said it was Swiss? Swedish. 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 Okay. Swedish. So, but, you know, by, via Jersey uh, on to California and then um, all around the world, I it would presume. <laughs> yeah, I was out of the country for five years. Wow. Basically. Interesting. Um, do you like to travel now? I do. Even though you've done all of that Going before? to Europe next week. Okay, good. All right. So you're getting out there in a pleasurable way and not right. quite such a stressful way. 
what's it like after you've been a fighter pilot to be on a commercial airline? Is it boring? Is it a little out of control though? No, that it's sense? very you boring. Don't... It's very boring. Unbelievably boring. Okay. All right. Fair enough. It's All like right. being on a bus. Like being on a bus. Um, I also want to plug KUCI one more time because that's that's my promise during our fundraise, um, fundraising event of our fund drive. Um, good time to call in, share your support with us today. Our telephone number is 949-824-5824. There are people standing by ready to take your call and donations, and it would be lovely to have your support of our show, so we would greatly appreciate it. Um, any amount is, is good. Uh, we, um, we take small, we take big donations, so any amount that you want to give would be wonderful. Um, David and I are talking about the CE code and really cracking that code, and you've taken a culmination of life experiences, which we've really just started talking about. How do you sum up a man? But um, you've taken that experience, you've put it into a book, but more importantly, you have found maybe a formula for success, and I think everybody wants to know what that is. Let's let's dive into that and start cool. breaking it out a little bit. First, let me clarify that the book, The CEO Code, is not necessarily just for CEOs or presidents. And by that, uh, when you get into the book, you'll see that the C, that the first five chapters are all about communication. Ah. The second five chapters, the E, it's all about execution. Right. And then the O, the last five chapters, are about operations and how to work with people in teams, delegation, and all that type of thing. Interesting. So it's, it's designed for CEOs, for sure, but it's also designed for people that want to be leaders or people that want to take control of their life, that want to improve their life, because it, it is full of life lessons to solve the two biggest problems that I have found people have, whether they're a CEO, whether they're in a university, whether they're a mother, a father, whether they're working on the relationship, or whether they're trying to run an organization, or whether they're a part of an organization. And the two biggest problems, Kimberly, that I have identified. Waiting with bated breath. Number one, money. Big money. one. Money, money, money. Money makes the world go round. And if you don't have enough of it, it really distracts your attention from what is important. Because the only time money is a real problem is when you don't have enough of it. When you have enough money, you have other problems. And money is not the biggest one until you get a whole lot of money. And then what happens, and I know this from experience because of my years with Merrill Lynch as an investment advisor and a, a tax investment specialist with Merrill Lynch, working with the wealthiest people in Orange County and, and the country. When you get a whole lot of money, what happens? Go back to the emotions. They're worried about losing it. They're worried about people taking it away from them, whether it's the government or another business person or whoever or an ex-wife, or an ex-husband, etc. Sure, the list can go on. It goes on and or on Or it and actually on. grows in that it case. It does. And so they come from, emotionally, it's possible, hopefully not probable, but possible that they're going to be coming from fear. And so they have a lot of money, but yet fear is going to dominate them. Why do you like me? Because I drive a fancy car and have a lot of money, and I always pay for dinner? Or do you like me because I'm a nice person? Or because I'm charming? And when you have a whole lot of money, I have an attorney that works here in the county um, who jokingly says that she, she's a family law attorney, largest law practice in the county. 
And if you want, I'll give you the name, but I, you don't need to give the name. She says, because she says this in public all the time, I have the best friends money can buy. <laughs> so money is one thing. And it's a problem, and it needs to be resolved. The first half of my business career, I spent in the money business, in real estate developing and in securities with Merrill Lynch. And I've, I quite candidly did very, very well and, uh, and had a lot of fun. I retired when I was 40. And then I decided that, well, you know, the economy changed, events changed. I had to go back to work because I got blitzed a little bit by the financial situation and of my own, my own devices, if you will. Plus the environment we were in was when interest rates went to 21%. Can you imagine prime interest rates being 21%? It. Well, I don't remember it. I remember I'm sure some of your listeners, <laughs> when they think about what the, the mortgage is now at 3 and 4%, and prime was 21% back then. It's crazy. So I had to go back to work, and I was trying to analyze what do I want to do, and I tried to be analytical, right? <laughs> Going back to this emotional thing. To justify your emotions. And what I started to focus on was communication. The biggest problem after money that people have in companies and relationships and business is poor communications. Or lack of it. Or lack of it, exactly. Okay, so money and communications are our biggest problem. And that's where you get to your C in the CEO code. Right. Right. Not to be standing for chief executive officer, but well, communications. It does, but it doesn't. Execution and operations. Okay, so... Um, what is then the secret to effective communication? The secret to effective communication, and this would be a lesson if someone could get me into Washington, I'd love to try and help those people. Um, effective communication takes more than talent. A lot of people have talent. Effective communication requires trust, respect, understanding, empathy, and resolution. Those are the first five chapters. Trust, respect, understanding, empathy, and resolution. Those are the first five chapters of the book? Yep. Okay. And, I mean, ask anybody, and I think you would get a resounding response if you just asked, do you have respect? Do you trust the people that you see on television that live in Washington, D.C.? And there's where the relationship comes to a quick halt, because the answer is likely a no. Exactly. And part of the problem with that is that most people think of communication as a one-way street. And it's a two-way street because you send out broadcast talk, whether it's in a speech. You and I right now really are broadcasting. It's one way. And I'd be just so curious to be sitting with the people that are listening to this and hearing their side comments and the way they're reacting to it. That's the other part of communication is receiving information uh, listening well. The biggest part of communication is listening, not talking. And uh, we make a big point of that in the book. Okay. But there's also those times where people don't actually say what they mean. Exactly. What What's that all about? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the opening of the book talks about a fellow that I was coaching. And he was um, a very, very successful vice president of marketing for a company was really making bank with the company, was doing very, very well, but he was much overweight. And when we first met, we started talking about, uh, hi, how are you? 
Um, we'll call him Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you? What's your situation? Well, I'm this and that. I've been with the company this many years. I'm, I'm breaking all the records. I'm doing all this fantastic stuff. That's great. That's great. And he's very, very heavy. And then he starts talking about his kids, and he's got three kids, and they're doing this and doing that, and they're in Little League, and, and he's talking about his football career as a college student when he was in college, and, and all this stuff, all this stuff. Finally, there was a pause. And I said, Joe, are you married? And he just sat there. Then I saw him start to get red and flush in the neck a little bit. And I said, you haven't mentioned a wife. And this big hulk of a guy, he was probably 280 pounds, starts quivering and whimpering and crying and explains that he was having serious problems and he was afraid because if his boss found out about the fact that he wasn't having a successful marriage, person that his boss was, he was afraid he might get fired. In addition to he was worried about the kids, he was worried about the failure of a marriage, etc., etc., etc. But he didn't mention a word about any of that. So what people don't say often tells you more than what they do say. And in order to understand that and in order to read that, you have to have understanding. That's the third chapter. And when we talk about understanding, what I'm talking about is the idea of being able to read body language, understanding NLP, neurolinguistic programming, understanding emotional intelligence, understanding behavioral styles, and a myriad of other things, all that helps you understand how to communicate more effectively, not only what it is you're doing to communicate, but being able to read other people and understand what they're saying and, very, very importantly, what they're not saying. So they say you can read people like a book. What, you, do you think you had that from the get-go? Because mm -mm. you don't, you think you had to develop that and you think that's an uh, achievable skill, a Ab learnable skill? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, if, you know, if you're going to make broad brush statements that are going to be proved not true if you get some facts and figures, what uh, there seems to be a, a high correlation between people that are very, very analytical and anal, if you will, and they don't read people very well. And those people that read people very, very well are not necessarily very analytical or very uh, black and white. And so you can identify those patterns when you study it, and you can, you can pretty easily recognize that in various people. Um, when you when you understand how to read people. But yes, you can absolutely learn how to read people. Some people come to it more easily than others. Analytical people have difficulty with it more so than others. Um, so that means the really, really smart people that are real analytical. Um, they're missing everything. All well, the they're, they're, not, they're not as tuned to being able to read people as they are facts, figures, numbers, and those kinds of things. So... It would probably be easy to manipulate people if you knew some of those. Oh, absolutely. Those In fact, you know, if you think about it, um, one of the things that we talk about in the third chapter is understanding the goals and the fears of various types of people. Like people that are very dominant, direct, and pushy, uh, their goal is to be in control, and their goal is to get results. But what's interesting is they also have fears, 
And those very arrogant, pushy, aggressive people fear being taken advantage of and losing control. So if I understand better than you do what your goals are and what your fears are, because I can just look at you or see the way you behave or the words you choose or the way you act, your posture, and put all those things together, and I can tell what you are better than you know I can, the question then becomes who's in control? He's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and there are all kinds of examples of that um, in world history. And I Give think me a good one. the best one, uh, although it's ugly, is Adolf Hitler. Sure. He understood better than the German people did what they were all about. He understood that they were embarrassed because after World War I, they had to pay reparations. They lost, and they're by nationality, if you will. <coughs> Excuse me, they're very proud people. <laughs> Your voice just went up an octave. <laughs> I'm going to let him cough. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of Adolf. Uh, so, <laughs> because of that, um, he understood that, and he appealed to their pride. He appealed to the fact that they needed to get even with the world who was causing all this grief and the like, and his speeches were all tuned to doing that. And then he used his people to achieve a personal goal. Exactly. Exactly. And he happened to have an evil um, core, and so it can be used for evil. It's like money. being un un When you really understand communication, it's, it's amazingly powerful, but it is a little bit like having a lot of money. Uh, you have all kinds of control and influence over other people because you are either a very, very effective listener and communicator or because you have a lot of money, and that can be used for good or evil. Okay, so we're digging into the C of the CEO code in Communicate, and if you're just tuning in, we have about 20 minutes left. We are talking with David Rolander. He is the author of the book, The CEO Code. And um, if you want to dig a little deeper about this, you can go to David's website, theceocode.com, or um, you can go and find out directly David Rolander. Uh, Rolander is davidrolander.com. Rolander spelled R-O-H-L-A-N-D-E-R. And it is Swedish. I keep, I was almost said Swiss again. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> this girl doesn't pay any attention. <laughs> They're both S words. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're into the C of communicate. Should we spend a little time going on to the execute? Sure. I, I'm more fascinated, frankly, by the C. That's probably why I don't get much done. But let's talk about execute because I think this is where a lot of people could use some help. Sure. Actually, the, the mo based on my experience, people need the most help in communication. Sure. But we'll go on to execution. Okay. Um, execution is basically the bottom line. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the bottom line. That's when it happens. Now, the reality is that depending on whose research you look at, if you have a research, research bent, um, I'll just say that the majority of what we do, we do because of habits. Now, I'm not talking about just the habit of having coffee in the morning. I'm talking about our habits of thinking, our habits of uh, behaving in every little nuance of our behavior, um, our habits of relating to other people, how we relate to other people, our habits of exercise or lack of exercise. Every dimension of our life, we, for the most part, uh, the way we treat children, the way we look at children or don't look at children, the way we pay attention to children or choose not to. Some people don't have time for that, which is sad, but some people are that way. 
Um, so we have habits. We have habits. Um, in order to, to execute effectively, you have to be totally aware or as aware as you possibly can be of what you're currently doing. So you have to be able to sit back and take a really good assessment, and that is probably the toughest thing to It do. is the toughest thing, and a little recommendation that anyone listening or anyone can do is you can just ask people what they see Ooh, in that's you. That's going to open up a can of worms. And what I would recommend is that you can just do it with an, with an envelope or with an email, but email then they're going to know who you are and that you're going to know who they are, and so that's not as effectively, so it's fun to use an old-fashioned envelope and a piece of paper. And ask people to just say, what are the three things that I do well, and what are three things that I should improve or I could improve? And do it to a whole lot of people. Do it to your family members. Do it, to your fr- do it with your friends. Do it if you have a job. Do it with the people you work with. Do it from people that know you, your instructors. I am just sitting here cringing at the thought of even putting something like that at play. You know? Well, it's hard. It opens you it's wide hard. open. It does. Have it's you done hard. it lately? Oh, I've done it. I do it a lot. You I've do? done it many, many times. It's been fabulous. Once you get, you know, the emotional uh, stomach for it, Right. It's phenomenal. It's right. fen- I highly, highly recommend it. It'd be a good thing to do in the classroom setting because mm-hmm. people are casually observing you, maybe not so focused on your, uh, you know, like the baggage that the people in your actual life have. Or people you, you do sports with or people you socialize with or, or people you go to church with or synagogue or whatever. Anybody. Anybody that knows you, ask them. And uh, you just ask them, say, I, I'd really like a favor. If you don't mind, would you help me? And sure. it's amazing how when you ask people sincerely, would you help me, how happy they are to do that. Okay. And so then you want, when you do this, another thing in the coaching process, one, one of the things we do is we do what's called a 360 process. And you actually go and uh, interview. I, as a coach, go and actually interview people about the, the coachee and find out things. So once you get that, a couple of things you need to be aware of is that some people just love you and think you can do no wrong. Like my mother loved me and she thought I walked on water, right? And then there's some people that you've done something that maybe you don't even realize, but you've hit a chord that for them maybe was not politically correct or whatever, and they don't like you. And they're going to say evil things or they're going to say bad things. So you want to discard the top and the bottom and that's why you want to do it with a lot of people. And then look at the pattern that you see in the middle. What are the trends? What is the, where's the most data points? Where does it cluster? On what area? And then that's probably what you want to focus on working on to improve. And that's probably also identifying your strengths fairly accurately. But the extreme up and down, ignore. So then you know where you are and what you're doing. I like that you get to ignore the extreme of the negative. I'm not sure I want to toss out the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand that. I just frame the top and put it up in the right. picture frame. <laughs> Look at what everybody thinks about me. Yeah. <laughs> the top 1%. Isn't this great? <laughs> and then, then you have to decide what your goal is. And we have a whole formula on setting goals. You, and the one thing I'd like to focus on in goals is make sure that your goal is a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing. If you think of New Year's Eve, which is coming up in another month or so, People so often will say, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to stop smoking or something like that. And both of those things or anything like that, it's a negative goal. And it basically, every time you say it, you're giving yourself a negative message. And the other thing is you're relying on your willpower instead of your imagination. 
and imagination is much more powerful and relates more to positive goals than willpower, which relates to restricting, limiting, containing, holding back to achieve a goal. Which we kind of know now as humans that that just doesn't work. It creates a, a hunger or that deficit of uh, mm-hmm. not getting what you want creates right. a much stronger power than anything you needed to accomplish or overcome in the first place, right? Right, exactly. So you set a goal. So you said, well, really quickly, frame quitting smoking in that positive, more imaginary way. Very easy. I can't wait to smoke less. <laughs> <laughs> Do you smoke? No, I don't. Uh, it, breathing, hearing, oh. you know. <laughs> you okay. hear smokers? You hear yeah, smokers? Yeah. You can hear them breathe. Uh, when they're running upstairs, yeah. they're out of breath. Right. When they want to play with their kids or their grandkids, right. they don't have the wind for it. So you focus on, I'm going to be able to run upstairs. I'm going to be able to run a half a mile or a mile. I'm going to be able to do things and work in the yard all weekend without getting worn out. I'm going to be able to just bound up the stairs. I'm going to be able to play with the young co- folks. Um, all of those kinds of things. Or if you are a young folk, you'll get to be a young folk. Rather get to than be a young like folk longer folk. <laughs> and not become an old folk too fast. So staying young. So just converting it into positive things. So we're talking about the execution part of the code to success personal success, business success. We're really tailoring the discussion to the individual today, um, appealing to those that are maybe on campus or in the area listening that aren't exactly a CEO, but you work primarily with CEOs. Do you find that people in a position of power have a much harder time making some of these changes? No, no, no. I, well, I, you know, everybody's different. Uh, I haven't noticed that particular pattern. Um, it may be so, but I haven't noticed it. Uh, Everybody, you know, as they, they used to say, or my dad used to say, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Whether you're CEO or the janitor, um, right. we're all in the same kettle of fish. Right, right. And we're all trying to improve our lot. No matter how high up at the top you are. You know, one of the problems that the CEOs have or the doctors have and that kind of thing is they have what they affectionately call in the medical field um, a God complex. Sure. Right. And some CEOs have that tendency as well. Okay. Um, so in addressing habits, what, what's the single most powerful thing you can do to change a habit? A, one that you want either to implement a good one or to eliminate a bad one. Well, if you really want to attack that, um, and that's a big issue for you, habits, I would suggest you get a best-selling book that's out there right now called The Power of Habit by a fellow named Duick. Duick. Um, the power of habit. And he breaks down um, how you actually change habits and identifying the triggers. I talk about the same principles in the book a little bit, but if you want to really focus on habit, I'd highly recommend picking up his book. It's an excellent book. A lot of my clients have read it and really enjoyed it. The power of habit. Okay, good, good recommendation. And um, Duig is spelled D-U-H-I-G-E. I'm not sure. I, I'm that sounds you, right. Yeah, I just looked it up. So oh, you just looked yeah. it up. Power of Habit by Charles Duig. Another unusual name. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't want to run out of time because we have about ten minutes left. Let's go on to operations. Okay. And then if we have some time at the end, circle back to that communication sure. one that I feel sure. like I could have stayed on for hours. Operations uh, focuses on five things. It focuses on teams, focuses on delegation, systems, accountability, and rewards. 
and those are the last five chapters, okay. those topics. Um, the the key, uh, what we might want to do is just hit the key to each one. Sure. Does that sound fair? Yeah. So with teams, one of the big takeaways there is you want diversity of a team. The natural tendency is we want to play with people like us. We want to work with people like us. If we have a special task that has to be done, we want to get people that are, quote, competent, like we are competent, whatever that competency is. And that's a mistake. You want to have diversity. Because what happens when you have everybody the same, they all make the same mistake, they all see things the same way, and they have the same blind spot. So ideally, you want to have diversity in a team, in any team. So what does the ideal team look like then? The ideal team would have one, and there's a model in there called the DISC, D-I-S-C, which you may be familiar with. I've heard of it, sure. Yeah, very popular model. Uh, and the D stands for the direct dominant type person. The I stands for the influencing or person that's interested in people. Uh, the S stands for the stable or, or, or steady. Uh, steady person. And that's probably 70% of the population. And the C stands for compliant or cautious. Okay. Now we're all a combination of all four, but uh, that you, you want to, from a team dynamic standpoint, we're not talking about technical skills here, we're talking about interpersonal skills. From a dynamic, you would ideally want to have one of each. The D would make things happen, the I would make sure everybody's getting along and you have a party, the S would do the work, and the C would make sure it was correct. God, the poor S. Yeah, they they're, do all the work. They're the ones always doing the work. They're the room moms, they're the, the oh, volunteer. That, they're the salt of the earth. Right, right. And they're the majority. Thank God. You know, it's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that, but maybe that is true. They're the steady, the one that's right. always always performing. And then the cautious. Would you sometimes say that the cautious is the naysayer? They're, always bringing, you know, the pejorative uh, possible twists that could happen? According to the studies, the, the you know, you talk about the fears and the goals. The goals of a C are perfection, getting things right. And the goals of, uh, or the fears of a C is uh, having a place for everything, everything in its place, and being orderly and neat, organized, perfection. That's their goal. Now, the problem with that, if there's a problem, is that they, when they're not sure they're going to be right, they'll have a tendency to not play or not participate. I have a child like that, and she's been like that for a very long time. I think she delayed in her speech because she Couldn't wanted to come right. out with complete sentences before yeah, yeah. everything, before even trying. I was really, I'm really fascinated by that. How fundamental that is in the person that maybe is that C, the cautious It's person. It's both genetics and environmental. I'd have to say that now that I've had my own genetic experiment go on in my household, I had the opportunity to see my husband produce offspring with another woman um, previous to me and then with me. And then looking at the continuity of his gene downline, if you will, sure. in, in all of the kids and some of the consistencies, I, I'm blown away by the power of genetics. I mean, some of the right. weirdest stuff comes from genes right. and mannerisms. and right. um, So why wouldn't it be those more intricate personality traits just as well? as some physical traits that we see on the outside. Well, it is all of the intricate uh, traits that we have, with many of them. Like my, my mother-in-law, my son's grandma, could not tell the difference when she called, whether it was me or my son. Interesting. When we'd say hello. She couldn't tell which it was. 
You sound the same. We have the same voice. Uh, We have a lot of mannerisms. His wife has commented about how many things he does in a very subtle way, Mm -hmm. uh, mannerisms and the like, that are are just like me. So if you're part of an organization, probably the easiest and smartest thing you can do for yourself and for your organization is maybe identify really quickly who you are in that role. Absolutely. In fact, there's, uh, forgive me for a slight promotion, but there's, on my website, there's an assessment page, and people can go on there and, and take a, a quick instrument that will show them whether they are a DIS or C and show them uh, how to handle it. It's a 52-page report for like $49. Oh, very cool. It's, it's a very, very effective. And, and what I do with my all my clients, I focus on using the DIS and C. And it's very helpful for building teams. It's helpful for selling. It's helpful for relationship, marital relationships, friend relationships, all kinds of things. It's, it's very, very valuable. It's the single most important thing that uh, people need to do to be successful, I think, is understand that, the behavioral styles, and really understand it and master it, not just be aware of it. That's another thing. A lot of people are aware of it and they think they know it because they've heard of it or whatever, but they don't really know how to use it. My son has been exposed to it since he was five years old. So does he go around telling people what they are? No, no. You know what the reaction is when my son meets people? My son happens to be an artist, so he's sensitive anyway. He's very famous. Well, he's a very, very successful artist. He's just Rolander.com, the last name. He's got pictures, uh, paintings in Modern Family. Oh, so that painting of you is by your son? It is. That's on the website? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very talented. He teaches at Art Center up in Pasadena, too. He's, He's amazing. But what the reaction that people have to him, because of the... D, I, S, and C, is that he's so charming. Hmm. Drives me nuts because I'm not nearly as charming as he is. Does that mean then that he's reading people and maybe conforming to what they need? Yes, he's a chameleon. He's able to relate to them. He's able to relate to them, and that's why he's so charming. Huh. Boy, I want to know what the long-term effect is on that. Well, if you go in the dictionary and look up... Chameleon? (laughs) Or the eye, the high eye it is in the discs. You'll see a picture of Bill Clinton. Oh, no. Yeah. No, he's incredibly charming. Yes. He's incredibly charming. I've met charming. him before, and I have to tell you, I was was surprised by by that. Yeah. No, he is. I've, I've never met him, but I've known many people that have, and they all agree. Yeah. He just makes you melt. But at some point, does he know who he is in that equation? Does he? Yeah, I don't think we want to go there. Yeah, no, I know we don't have time for that. But the chameleon will say, do they know who they are? Some do and some don't. Yeah. If they don't know who they are, then they make mistakes. Sure. Interesting. Interesting. And see, now that's another thing that I think is very important that probably I ought to just mention. That is that the core of everything in my book is oriented toward behavior and how you behave. But the basis of that behavior, I encourage people to be their values. And really understanding, as you say, knowing yourself and understanding your values and how do those values manifest themselves in your daily behavior. That's the key. So if you, if you manage your, your um, the, well, if you manage knowing exactly what your contribution is to any team, you can kind of plug yourself in in all aspects of your life, whether it be your work life, your home life. Exactly. But what's the key to making all of that successful? 
emotional intelligence, I guess, would be one of the keys, one of the main keys. And that's being totally aware of yourself as much as possible, being aware of others, being able to manage yourself. We're talking about emotions and being able to manage others. Studies have shown that high emotional intelligence is the single biggest contributor to success. So um, you can uh, learn about this in the CEO code. Who should read this in closing? Everybody. <laughs> Many of my clients who are running companies or who one of my big accounts is one of the major four accounting firms, they get the book for their children, college students, because they don't want them to have to learn these things the hard way. Boy, isn't that the truth? We're always looking for the quick way for our kids, aren't we? And um, and this might just be one of those ways. David Rolander, thank you. It's been a delightful hour here on Real People OC. I really appreciate you coming and taking the time today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So we're going to continue on with our fun drive here at KUCI. David was a great chat. I feel like we just tipped the iceberg. That's um, love having the hour, but it's funny when it comes to a close how um, how much more we have to discuss. So um, maybe I'll get lucky and have a have a little longer chat afterwards. Um, if you're just tuning in, you are with KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and up next is Counterspin and wonderful nationally syndicated show programming. Matt Kaplan brings that to you. Uh, followed off with Planetary Radio. He is. A real gentleman. We are lucky to have him. So um, take a few minutes to dig a little deep, see if you can help KUCI out while we're in the midst of our fun drive. We are at uh, 949-824-5824, and we'd love to have you call in right now. So thank you, and um, join me next week for Real People OC, Thursdays from 4 to 5. Have a great week.